Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again this week, and thank you for joining us again as we continue the series on the book of Judges. I truly trust that you're being as blessed as I am by studying this as you are hearing it. And uh, we're just thankful to be able to be able to share it with you on this level. And what we have been doing is sharing with you from the book of Judges how uh, the book of Judges starts out by saying, now after the death of Joshua, and uh, without reviewing too awful long, because we normally do that every week, but it gets to be that the review is almost as long as the program. So I don't want to do that today. But the book of Joshua, it starts out by saying, now after the death of Joshua. Well, I shared with you before how that Joshua's name uh, literally means Yeshua. And so it is the Hebrew name Yeshua. It is the English name Jesus. And uh, what we're showing you in this series is how the book of Joshua is about what happened after the death of Jesus. And if you followed this series, you see that everything these men did in the visible realm was a picture of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, in other words, we saw where J.L. took a nail, put it on the head of Caesarea, and the nail there is connected with the nail from the cross. You see, uh, you see, uh, uh, Gideon, who's threshing wheat, hiding it under the wine press, and that's where we're going to go today, is that wheat and wine speak of bread and wine, of the finished work of Jesus Christ, and uh, uh, we saw that as well. Uh, let me say also that if you have missed these programs, because there's no way I can go back and review every time, or all we'll ever get done is reviewing but if you'd like to watch these programs again, or you say, man, I just tuned in, and I'd love to see this whole series. It is available on our YouTube channel at no charge to you. And you can go to my YouTube channel, watch them on demand, and uh, you can share them on your social media if you'd like. You can share them in your prayer groups or your home prayer meetings or your uh, Wednesday night midweek um, sermons, and sometimes have conversations. Great tools for Bible studies. And the easiest way to do that would be to go to my website at lynnhiles.com. And in the upper right-hand corner of the opening page, there are little icons that will have the YouTube insignia. If you tap on that, it, will, it is a direct link to my channel. Now, I'm all over YouTube because I preach at all kinds of churches, and there's all kinds of video. God only knows how much video is out there on YouTube that I've preached. But you can go to my YouTube channel, and it's there that you will find my channel, where we air what we air on the TV program. And you can watch it on demand, or you can pause it and take notes and, and so forth. There is also, on that same page on my webpage, an icon for our uh, podcast. And the podcast, I understand, can be done in audio or also in video. And it is direct linked directly from there to my podcast. And then there's an RSS feed there with a little Android looking thing to, for your Android device where you can get this and stream it on your way to work and redeem the time. It's a great way to get Bible teaching at your fingertips. I'm just amazed at how technology has enabled us to be able to share the gospel 
on so many different ways and levels. While you're there on the website, maybe you want to pick up a few of our books for Christmas gifts for your loved ones or uh, for your family, and you maybe make a good stocking stuffer, but the From Law to Grace is there. Uh, Kingdom Paradigm Shift, my book, the book, uh, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, second edition is on there. Uh, the Great I Am is available on there. And Unforced Rhythms of Grace is on there, as well as a whole host of audio material and even a streaming service for our Message of the Month Club. So avail yourself to those things that are available there for you to be able to enjoy the gospel. Let's get back in the Word again, though. As I've already shared with you, the book of Judges is about enforcing uh, what Jesus did in His redemptive work, enforcing the judgment written. Psalm 149 said, This honor have all of His saints to execute the judgment written. And that judgment is not always a bad thing. It is simply enforcing what Jesus did when He said, Now is the prince of this world judged. Now is the judgment of this world. And if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto myself. And I think he's speaking there concerning drawing all men to himself, but also all judgment was come into him. So that when I'm talking about in when I'm talking about the book of Judges, I'm talking about us by faith enforcing what he has provided by grace and living out of the realities of the new covenant and living out of the realities of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so last week we talked about, and we're going to go back here uh, in chapter 6 of the book of Judges, and and we will uh, pick up there and and uh, uh, just kind of move beyond where we were last week. It says in verse 11, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abazarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, O Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then is all his, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles? which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you and shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour, and the meat he put in a basket, and he put the broth in a pot. And he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out, put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. And fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread, and the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, I, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear, for you will not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord, and he called it, The Lord is Peace. 
In other words, God was trying to introduce Gideon to an understanding of the gospel of peace and that an encounter with God is not always going to signify that you're going to drop dead. Uh, and, you know, I, I think it was amazing to me that, uh, you know, he has this encounter and, uh, you know, then he thinks, you know, God just told him all he's going to do and he thinks he's going to drop dead. Well, certainly if God told you you're going to do this, he's not going to kill you after he visits you. And he said, now it came to pass that the same night that the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull, the bull, the second bull of seven years old, tear down the altar of Baal that your father has cut down the wooden images that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of this rock in the proper arrangements and take the second bull and offer the burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. So Gideon took 10 men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said him, but because he feared his he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day. He did it by night. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down and the wooden image that was beside it was cut down. And the second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. So they said to one another, who has done this thing? And when they had inquired, ask, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash has done this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, Bring out your son that we may that he may die because he has torn down the altar of Baal and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him plead for himself. In other words, if God is God, if this God is really real, let him show something about it. Let him plead for himself. And he said, let, let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is a God, let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. Therefore, on that day called him Jeroboam, saying that let Baal plead against him because he has torn down the altar. Then the, Mid Mid then the Midianites and Amalekites and the people of the east gathered together, and they crossed over and camped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet, the, and the Abazarite gathered behind him, and he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they came up to meet him. Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, Look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on the ground, then I shall know what you will say, that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so when he arose nearly early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together. He wrung out the dew out of the fleece as a bowlful. Uh, sorry, I went back too far here. And so he, he, he wrung out the fleece, and, and, and it was a handful. And then what he does the next day, uh, let me come back here. And he said it was so. And when he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece in a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me, but let me speak just one more. Let's, let me test, I pray, just one more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on all the ground. Let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on the ground. Now let me just tell you that sometimes I think we can be critical of, of, of Gideon. And I, I think about this. I think, man, the angel of the Lord appears to this guy. And at first he, does, he, real, he doesn't really realize it's the angel of the Lord. And then, uh, you know, he's, he's, when he does kind of perceive that this is the angel of the Lord, 
he says, stay here and let me, let me uh, prepare a feast for you. Let me make an offering to you. And then, uh, you know, then the angel of the Lord stretches out his hand or the rod. And when he stretches out the rod, the fire consumes this sacrifice. And the angel of the Lord ascends up into the cloud. And he thinks then he's going to drop dead. Now, I don't know how you'd feel about this, but if I think, I don't know how I'd be. I think I probably would think, Man, if I just saw this angel of the Lord ascend into this smoke and into this cloud, I think I'm probably going to believe a little bit more. I think I'm going to think, this must really be God. And then God speaks to him further and says, what the angel of the Lord told you is true. You're not going to die, but you're going to save Israel. And then you know, as we've just read the story, Gideon said, God, you know, uh, surely if you're with me, then... Uh, you know, and we're going to smite Israel as one man. I, I'm going to put out a fleece. And if, if, if it's due, if it's wet on one side, and then I'm going to know that's you. And then he turns it around and says, well, if it's dry on the ground and wet on the fleece, and then if it's wet on the fleece, dry on the ground. So he puts God to the test. But here's what I'm after to some degree. God doesn't really challenge Gideon for his unbelief. I think what he's simply saying here is whatever it takes to get you to believe this, God is going to do it. And so he begins to give him the signs that he's asking for. Now, I can't tell you how many times I've ever put out a fleece before the Lord, especially when you realize that God wants to do something to save, you know, God wants to do something in a meeting. You ever been in a meeting and God wants, man, God is moving on you to minister to somebody or maybe to give a prophetic word or a message in tongues. And every one of us have probably stood there and said, God, this is, if this is you, let him sing that song one more time. Or God, if this is you, let Sister Mary hit that tambourine. Or God, if this is you, you know, and we put out some fleeces before the Lord and everything we ask him usually comes to pass. And I think those are stages in our life when we might be a little bit immature, but at the same time, God gives us those things so that we learn how to test the waters and realize this really is God wanting to do something in our lives. And so then, you know, our faith is built and our confidence is built. I can, I can remember even at times and moving especially in the gifts of the Spirit, word of knowledge and so forth. And a lot of times, uh, you know, I've had the Lord use me in words of knowledge to minister to people and uh, just be incredibly accurate. But, you know, when I first started moving in the Spirit, uh, I would call out things more in a generic way. Maybe the Lord was speaking to me, and I felt like I knew who the Lord was showing me had maybe a certain a physical problem or, uh, you know, he was showing me something about them. Perhaps maybe it was some kind of an ailment they had in their body. And I would call it out. I would say, man, the Lord is saying there's somebody here that's got, let's say, a hearing issue. And I would watch to see if the person that I uh, thought it was responds to that word of knowledge. Now, I know that seems generic, and it does to me today, too, because you can call out, especially if there's a large crowd, you're bound to hit it if you say somebody in here's got a headache. But what happened was I, I was doing that to see if the person I thought God was speaking to me about was, in fact, that person. And as I grew in that faith, then I would, I would get bold enough, because 90-something percent of the time, it would be that person that I thought it was that had that issue. So then I would 
uh, grow in the gifting and would go further in my faith instead of just calling it out generically. Then I started moving and flowing in the gift, and I would go to that person and say, hey, the Lord showed me you've got this, this, and that, and it would be spot on. Now, I'm not trying to say that to be arrogant, but if you've been in any amount of meetings, you've seen probably that happen sometimes. Now, it doesn't happen in every meeting, but what I'm saying is, is that I learned to be more confident in the gift by exercising the gifts. So I think sometimes maybe these fleeces are exercises that teach us how to trust and believe God, because whatever it takes in your immaturity to get this, he's really trying to build the confidence of Gideon to go. Because later on, as he goes against these Midianites, he doesn't go with this humongously big army. He goes with 300 men, and he goes without a sword or weapon or a scud missile. He goes with a clay pot, a candle inside of it, and a trumpet. And all of them speak something again. Remember, I told you everything that these men did had something to do with the finished work of Jesus Christ. Remember, Gideon is threshing wheat and hiding it under the wine press. That speaks of bread and wine to me. So that's, the, that's, a, that's a symbol of new covenant stuff that Jesus said, this is my body, it was broken for you. And except a corn of wheat fall into the earth and died, abides alone. And we serve nothing but Jesus and his finished work, and it gives us the victory from our enemies. We enforce the judgment that has already been exacted. In other words, I'm not believing God because I think he's going to do something. I'm believing him because he already has done something. And so when you, you begin to, to operate like that and, and you start to see God begin to bring deliverance but, uh, through a people that are willing to uh, do it. Like I said, by the time God got finished with Gideon, uh, I mean, you, you, you've got to thank God for the fleece. Thank God for whatever cost or, you know, whatever it takes to get you to believe it. Because I'm going to tell you, I, I could see going up against the armies of Midian with 30,000 troops, but 300, 300 and no weapon. You better know God sent you. And so I just don't fault him on that. I think maybe God gives us what we need in order to take the step of faith that we need. The one, the one thing that I wanted to hit, especially in this chapter, is in verse 16. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. And I'd like to put a little bit of emphasis on this one, because I think right now, if there's anything that God wants to do in the body of Christ, it's to begin to bring some healing and unity. We are so divided on so many levels. This country is divided. Uh, I mean, it is an us against them on almost every level. And I, you know, I'm almost hesitant. I have such a large social media following that when I post, if I say it's hot, somebody's going to say it's cold. If I say God is good, they're going to say he's mean. If I say, you know, God is victorious, they're going to say, well, God's going to pull you through and not hold backwards. So there's constantly this co constant turmoil of, uh, you know, of fighting back and forth and a division. We fight over things that really are not amounting to anything. And it, if the enemy can divide us, he can conquer us. For a house divided against itself cannot stand. And so when you begin to realize that what God wants to do is bring some unity, I, you know, I, I really think there is a call of God right now in the body of Christ for unity. Because he says, you're going to smite the Israel, you're going to smite Midian as one man. And sometimes in order to get, uh, you know, to that place, you know, there has to be some dealing of God that goes on. 
And you know, one of the things that I see, even as you go down through this story, is that uh, he says to Gideon, listen, uh, the people that are with you, you've got too many people with you. So I want you to tell them that, the, to tell the people that if you're afraid, uh, if you're uh, fearful and, and uh, you know, then, you know, uh, he, said, now, now, he said, now therefore, this is in chapter 7, now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. And then the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Say, what? Yeah, there are too many. And man, can you imagine Gideon thinking, man, you talk about a Gideon's revival. He just lost 20,000, 22,000 people. He's down to 10,000, but hey, at least we still got a pretty good group. But he said, if I do it by the hand of the multitudes, then you're going to say the hand of Gideon saved you. But if I do it with a handful, you're going to know it was God. And sometimes I think about even some of the small churches that I preach in are some of the most powerful people in the world. Sometimes the size of the ministry is not an indicator that God is with you because God can save by few or He can save by many. When I think about the reach that the local church that I attend, I live in a very small town and I attend a church of about a hundred people on a good Sunday. Now, I attend that church. Now, I preach in platforms that have got more people in their church than live in my entire county, and I preach to multitudes of people. But what I'm simply saying is that sometimes God uses the small. He uses the little to show that it's His strength and His power and not the mighter power of people. And so, you know, as, as I begin to, to look at this, I started to think about God's call to unity. And then when you see this, he, then he brings them down and says to the people, uh, he says, now there's too many, but the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And whomsoever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. And likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink, and the number of those who lap by putting their hand to their mouth was 300 men, but all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, by the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place, so the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands, and he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained those 300 men. Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley, and it happened on the same night that the Lord said, Marise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. Now let me, let me just stop before I get into this, because I'm probably going to need to film one more segment on this. But I think it's important for me to note that when Gideon is about to do this, it's incredible to me that God is able to save by many or He's able to save by few. When you take the little that God has given you and you use that, God is able to multiply it. But the thing that I'm after is He says, I am going to save Israel as one man. And I think about the Scripture that says, and we being many are one bread. One loaf of bread. He's going to see later on in this chapter 
that the enemy has a dream about a loaf of bread rolling down a hill and crushing the tents of the enemy. I'm going to tell you, I believe there is a people who being many are one bread who are on a roll. And when you come with nothing but a trumpet, you come with nothing but a candle, that is a light in an earthen vessel, and you sound a trumpet, and the trumpet was the trumpet of a ram's horn, and you sound that ram's horn, that ram's horn comes from the death of a male lamb. You preach the message of the finished work of Jesus Christ, and it's going to crack the outer shell of the earthen vessel, and the light is going to come out. But what I want you to see was that when Gideon brought them to the ultimate separation, he said to them, whoever can drink water, he said, take them to the water, because the place where they're separated is at the water. Now, when I think about the water, I think about the water of the Word of God. And then he says, not just anybody that drinks water, but whoever can drink water from the hand. Now, when I think about the hand, I think about the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. There is an entire chapter written on this in my book here titled Unforced Rhythms of Grace, where I go into the miracles that Jesus did on the Sabbath. And one of the things he does is he heals a man with a withered hand. That withered hand to me speaks of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers who are not flowing from the posture of rest. Remember when the angel of the Lord went up, that he called the name of that place, the Lord is peace. When I think about a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath day, the Sabbath day speaks to me of rest. And when I think about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers that I was raised under, it was a withered hand or it was the balled up fist of a, or the backhand, it was always abusive. But Jesus came to heal the man with a withered hand. And when I think about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers whose hand has been healed, in other words, they've been restored to an understanding of the finished work of Jesus, and they are flowing from the rest of God and from the gospel of peace. If you can drink water from the hand, in other words, everybody is not drinking water from the hand. They're not, they're not, they're not involved or uh, a part of a ministry where there's five-fold ministry and function. Not just pastors and teachers, but apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, which are diversities of giftings that speak through all completely different vision, uh, not a different message, but a different flow. And we need all five of those ministries because that's what brings us to the place where we're ready I believe, to defeat the enemy. And those are the ones that are chosen are the people who can drink water from the hand and are feeding from the finished work of Jesus and a hand restored from the Sabbath rest of God stretched forth. Can you drink from the hand today? I believe if you can, you're called to be a part of this one man God is choosing. Well, we're about out of time, so if you'd like to sow a seat into the ministry, take a moment to call the number that's on the screen. Uh, go to our website at lenhiles.com. There's a place there where you can give via credit card or debit card. You give a one-time gift, or you can you could set up a monthly debit if you'd like to become a monthly partner. We really like to uh, see some monthly partners uh, become part with us. Or you can simply uh, write a check or money order or send it to the address that will come on the screen. But we do need your help in order to take the gospel around the world. Thank you for your support. God bless you. Join us again next week.
I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.